You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word of God. Five people before the service said, you better show a picture of grandkids. And so I got on my phone and sent one last minute to Matthew. Matthew, you're a rock star back there and you even look like one, man. Doesn't Matthew look like a Jesus a rock star right there? Just, you know, what a good looking guy, yeah. So you, you're all familiar, most of you are familiar with my granddaughter Peach who just turned five. I've been putting pictures up of her for five years, and, but I want to officially introduce her 10-month-old little brother, uh, Buck, or Buckaroo. So if you'd put that up there for me. Is it there? Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, he's full of life, that kid is. And so we're going to have all kinds of adventures, and it, it's, it's going to be fun. Also, we have a police officer here today, Jefferson County Deputy Sheriff. Be sure to thank him for his service. And... Uh, as you go out, buy him a donut or something, you know. <laughs> that's, that's cops' language of love, that's for sure. All of our language of love, isn't it? And so let's get started this morning. Uh, Admiral William H. McRaven is a 36-year retired now Navy vet who was also uh, a Navy SEAL. And he gave the commencement address in, in 2014 at his alma mater, the University of Texas in Austin. In his address, he entitled, 10 uh, Lessons to Change Your World. And if you're interested in learning more about that, he then subsequently published a book on that subject, on the 10 Lessons to Change Your World. It's entitled, Make Your Bed. And so it's a short read, but it's, it's really good. One of his 10 lessons was this. If you want to change the world, don't be afraid of circuses. He explained that in SEAL selection process, every day the candidates had multiple exhausting events, long runs for miles on the sand of the beach, uh, ocean open water swims, an obstacle course that would make all of us quit right there, hours of calisthenics, and each one of those events had standards. And if you didn't make the standard, at the end of the day, your name was on a list and you were invited to a circus. A circus was an extra two hours of additional exercise after you've been uh, physically active for 12 plus hours that day. A circus meant more fatigue uh, for that day and more soreness for the next day, making it more difficult. No candidate in their right mind wanted to see their name on the list for a SEAL circus. Yet every candidate, McRaven tells us, during SEAL training ended up in a circus. It was inevitable. It was designed to test a man's spirit and to find out if he was willing to overcome adversity and not quit. No one wanted to be part of a circus. But an interesting phenomenon he mentioned in his address to the University of Texas, an interesting phenomenon happened to those men who were constantly on the circus list but refused to quit. Those candidates who had to do two extra hours of exercise a day got stronger and stronger the pain of the circus built inner strength and physical resiliency. McRaven said it this way in his address. Life is filled with circuses. In life you will fail. It will be painful. 
It will be discouraging. At times, life will test you to your core. But if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of circuses. I think a man like Navy SEAL William McRaven might have today's scripture taped on his bathroom mirror as a daily reminder. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Hebrews 12 goes in depth in quoting Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 and says this in, in Hebrews 12, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. We think we would prefer a God who would treat us like we're spoiled, privileged children, but God wants us to become stronger and more mature and wise and more productive and more useful to humanity and able to uh, tackle the challenges of life as an overcomer. And to develop us into that kind of a person, God has to discipline us, which is the topic of the scripture that we're going to meditate on for a few moments together this morning. So this morning, in the next few minutes, we're going to look at five aspects of God's discipline as found in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. The first one is this, what is God's discipline? The second one is, what is not God's discipline? The third one is, how does God discipline his children? The fourth is, the benefits of God's discipline. And then finally, a healthy response to God's discipline. And so let's just have a quick word of prayer, because I need God's help. So we need prayer, and then we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, we are listening. Please speak words of life to us by your Spirit through your Word. Feed our hearts by your grace, and we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, what God's discipline is. God's discipline, this is very important, is educational, not punitive. God's discipline is intended for our maturation as healthy human beings. And God's discipline is tailor-made for how God designed each one of us. Studies show that the best parenting is high love and high limits, and that's exactly how God parents us. In Hebrews 12, 11, and I mean 10 and 11, it says, our heavenly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We need to remember that God is never an abusive father. He's a good, good father, always. So develop us as wise and compassionate and mature and strong and joyful children of God. He knows that we need to face and overcome resistance, which is the pathway by which our character is purified. He does that through healthy discipline in our lives as his beloved children. So God's word shows us that God tailor makes his discipline according to the temperament we were born with that he gave us. In other words, we see in scripture that how Jesus related to Peter was different than how he related to John. Peter was a high D on the disc personality profile. John was a high S this meant that Peter's strong-willed personality needed a jolt to the system once in a while. And remember when he said to Peter, he turned and he looked at him and he said, get thee behind me, Satan? That's pretty in-your-face kind of stuff. But then with John, who as a S, was a highly relational personality type, you remember at the Last Supper that John was leaning on Jesus' chest, 
And then when Jesus was on the cross, he saw his mother and John right there. And he said, John, your mom and mom, your new son. And we know that uh, John took care of Mary until her death in, in Ephesus years later. In other words, God works according to who you are, not according to someone else. It's not one size fits all. And so if you have a, a real sensitive personality type, the Lord is gentle and sensitive with you. There's nothing to fear. God uh, disciplines us in a way that is, is good and is in keeping with how he made us. And so we learn again, remembering from last week, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our understanding even when the Lord disciplines us. So what isn't God's discipline? Let's remember the scripture is clear that Satan is the enemy of our souls and that he hates us. First of all, he's just in the embodiment of hate, but he also hates us because we're made in God's image and he resents God. He wanted to be God and he couldn't. And uh, so Satan is always trying to damage or destroy our lives, our relationships, or even our walk with the Lord. And Jesus told us that Satan is the father of lies. So Satan, when we're going through difficult times, Satan want, he's always breathing the lie of wanting us to believe that God has forgotten you, that, that, that God is not there and he's not helping you and he won't help you and, and you can't trust God. But we need to remember that the Bible is clear that not all hardship is from God, but God can redeem all hardship. Very important distinction there. God's discipline is never evil. There's evil in the world. Evil sometimes touches our lives or our families. But evil is not from God. God is not the cause of evil. Evil is, call, is caused by sin and Satan and his demons and people who have rejected God and given themselves over to evil. So friends, the point of that is don't blame God for what originated in the pit of hell. God's discipline is never evil. That second, God's discipline also is not his wrath or his judgment. For a follower of, of Christ, God's wrath for their sin was laid on Jesus on the cross and he paid the price. The punishment for our sin was paid by Jesus. That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's vital that when we're going through hard times that God can use for discipline in our lives, it's important that we never attribute evil to God. For how can we trust a God who is the originator of evil? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs teaches that part of being made in God's image means that humanity is given free will. For us to truly love God, we must have free will to choose to, to love God. To have free will means we can make choices, and sometimes people make choices to do or to allow evil to happen. God can redeem evil, but evil never originates with God. The Bible's clear. God is love. God is good. God is all wise. God is righteous in everything that he does. Therefore, God's discipline is never evil, and it's not a manifestation of his wrath or his judgment. Jesus took God's wrath over our sin on the cross. Our sin is washed away by our faith in Jesus Christ, shed blood on the cross. So, the third question we want to address this morning then is, how does God discipline us? And there's four ways the Bible makes clear that God disciplines his children. 
One is through the Holy Spirit and his holy word, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that man of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. The very best way to experience God's discipline is to cooperate with his spirit and his word, the Bible, to abide in God's word and have his spirit abide in us and to be at home in that. There's an old saying that one of my mentors years ago told me, and it was that if we have the word but not the spirit, we dry up. If we have the spirit but not the word, we blow up. But if we have the spirit and the word, we grow up. And that's what we can do. It's, it's, it's obvious the best path for a good life and, a, and our best chance for a healthy family is, for instance, to obey the Ten Commandments by the Lord being our helper. Or as we saw last week, trusting in the Lord with all of our heart that can give us a peace the world can't give or take away. So God disciplines us through his spirit guiding us and in the word of God correcting and rebuking and training and instructing us in God's way. But God also disciplines us via people. In Hebrews 12, 3, it says, Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you won't grow weary, discouraged, and lose heart. In other words, God can use opposition from unpleasant people to give us opportunities to grow our character and become more like Jesus. Just as last week, I was on my bike on Morrison Road heading west toward Red Rocks, and I had to stop the light there at the overpass of C-470, and I got my water bottle out, and I was taking a drink, and there was an Audi A8 that was turning the other way, and so he was coming in front of me and going on the on-ramp heading north on C-470, and as it went past me, the guy looked me right in the eye, and for about 10 seconds, he just flipped me off as he went past. I'm drinking my water like this, and this guy's flipping me off. I'm just, I'm just sitting, I'm innocent for once. I didn't do anything, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I, I know there's a pattern that maybe I could have done something, but not in this case. I, I didn't do anything. And so I had this opportunity for sanctification, you know, discipline right here, you know? I could be forgiving and kind and patient, so I threw my water bottle at him. <laughs> no, he was really big and young, so I didn't do that, but, uh, you know, thought about it. So God uses people to discipline us, but God also uses circumstances and consequences to discipline us. In Hebrews 12, 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Remember when King David really messed up and he had uh, an affair with Bathsheba? And remember that, that God forgave David, but he disciplined him by allowing him to suffer some of the consequences, not all of the consequences, but some of the consequences of his behavior. And sometimes the only way we can learn and grow is by facing the music, the consequences for our behavior. We need to understand as a parent that God is very caring to his core, but he's not codependent. He just isn't. Number four, so what are the benefits then of God's discipline? There's tremendous benefits 
from God's discipline. It is for our good, as it says in Hebrews 12.3. Just as being frugal and saving and investing a little bit every month over decades can, when we get ready to retire, we have a nice little retirement uh, nest egg because we disciplined ourselves over time or, you know, going to the gym, you know, or these kinds of things can, can lead to health over time. It's the same way with God that his discipline pays off with huge dividends in our lives, especially over time. That's why the Bible says time and again, do not give up, do not quit. Hebrews 12.10 says God disciplines us for our good. You see, when we cooperate with God's discipline, first of all, we experience, one of the benefits is we experience greater intimacy with God. Remember the prodigal son, when he came back to be with his dad, you can, his dad hugged him and gave him the robe and the slippers and, and you know, the feast and so forth. That The son didn't resent his father. The son wasn't immature and wanting out of there and wanting money from his dad. He just loved being back with dad. There was a new intimacy in their relationship with each other uh, because the prodigal son had been disciplined by eating with the pigs because of his decision until he came to his right mind. It's better to go back and be with dad. Dad's great. You see, we experience God at a new level when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And through that experience, we find out God is faithful. God will never leave us or forsake us. God's trustworthy. God is able. Another benefit it's not only greater intimacy with God, but through discipline, our character grows. We become better people. In Romans 5, it says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Then, another benefit of God's discipline is produces spiritual and eternal riches. Spiritual riches now, eternal riches in heaven. The book of Revelation is filled with this where it teaches that those who suffer with Christ will shine like with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth. There's some rewards that we get in the next life rather than in this life and they're far greater than anything we could receive in this life. And then finally, God, another benefit is God's discipline gives us an increased capacity to have empathy for other people and to help them with the struggles in their life because we can understand because we've gone through struggles. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we may comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Who is the best person to help an alcoholic overcome their addiction but another alcoholic who has overcome it with the help of God? They've been there. They've done that. They understand what's going on with that. They can empathize and to help. It's the same thing here. By overcoming adversity, by cooperating and trusting God in the midst of his discipline, we become wiser and stronger and more resilient and more productive and more useful to minister and to serve other people, helping them overcome the same challenges that we have overcome, the Lord being our helper. So friends, 
The application is this, endure hardship as God's discipline. It, is, it isn't fun, it can be painful, but it's never abusive, it's always for our good, and it always bears good fruit in our lives and in other people's lives, maybe your children or your grandchildren. I believe firmly with all my heart that I'm blessed in some ways because my grandpa and grandma uh, cooperated with the Lord's discipline. I believe that with all my heart. I think it's like compound interest over time that even can go generationally. That's a whole nother message to, to preach some other time. But when you're paying the price of God's discipline, cooperating with that, we become better, more blessed children of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So finally, number five, what is a healthy response to God's discipline? Well, first of all, it says don't resent it right here. Don't resent his rebuke. And so don't be like Jonah. Remember Jonah? He ran away from God. He complained. He whined. He had temper, temper tantrums. He had a bad attitude. Go back and reread the book of Jonah, and you'll see what I'm saying. And uh, because he thought that, that God was messing everything up when God was actually being wise and, and gracious, not only to, to Jonah, but to the Ninevites. So don't be like Jonah when you experience God's discipline in your life. So what should we do when we experience God's discipline in our lives, whether that's from an angry dude in an Audi on Morrison, or from setbacks in life, or as uh, just the circumstance of, of life or consequences of our own bad choices? Number one, rejoice. Rejoice. Do you remember Paul and Silas, they were in the Philippian jail, it's recorded in the book of Acts, and they'd been beaten severely, it said. I think getting beaten at any point is severely, but it said they were beaten severely, the scripture says. Their feet were in stocks, and so they couldn't get comfortable. And the scripture says there in Acts, at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing hymns of praise to God. They'd been beaten put in jail for nothing wrong that they had done. They hadn't broken the law. Their feet were in stocks. It's midnight. They can't, they can't sleep. And what were they doing? Singing and worshiping the Lord. Studies show that worship and singing actually not only affects our mind and, and our spirit, but it also affects our body. Studies show that singing and worshiping God like what we did this morning releases endorphins and oxytocin and dopamine into our blood system. So, in other words, resilience is uh, increased when we rejoice rather than pulling a Jonah and complaining and worrying when facing McRaven's circus in life. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So when life gets hard, when you're going through discipline, begin to sing. Jesus, like a shepherd lead us, which was sang at our wedding. You know, uh, how many years ago was that? Wow. You look great. I don't. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, worship also fights and frightens Satan. Did you know that? Now, I, I could give you examples. I just don't have time. But uh, worship and singing 
is the language of heaven. We see that in the book of Revelation. And it frightens Satan. And it says in the Bible, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Friends, when things are hard, do the counterintuitive thing. Sing. Sing to the Lord. Rejoice to the Lord. Give him praise. What did Job do when he found out all of his children had died? What did he, what did he do? What did he say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, he complained to God. He poured out his pain to the Lord. It's not denying our pain, but it's choosing in the midst of that, saying, God, I'm doing this not because of my feelings. I'm doing this by my faith. In this moment, in this hard time, I am choosing to express that I trust you with all my heart, and I'm not leaning on my own understanding, that you work all things together for good to those that love the Lord. So the first thing to do when we face Adversity, hardship, discipline is to rejoice. The second thing is to reframe, reframe. Choose to look at God's discipline as a blessing rather than an inconvenience or threat to your life. Remember Joseph in uh, Genesis, his brothers had sold him into slavery and after his dad died, they came and said, hey, don't hold, us against, don't hold it against us. Dad wouldn't want that. And you remember that Joseph forgave his brothers and then he said this to them. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. That's cognitive reframing. That's choosing to see his circumstances of being a slave for about 12 years of his life as redemptive, as God is greater than that. That's what I'm talking about here. And then last of all, number three, rejoice, reframe, and the third one is request. In other words, to pray, to pray constantly, to pray first, to pray passionately, to pour out your heart and your pain and your fear before God. He wants to hear the truth. He already knows what's inside of us. Ask God to speak to you. Seek God with all your heart. You remember uh, David uh, with uh, the city of Ziklag, and uh, they came back. He and his men came back, and, and uh, I believe it was the Ammonites had, had taken their wives, their children, and all their possessions, said the men wanted to stone David. And then it has this little phrase in there. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's what we need to do during hard times is to go to the Lord. The name of the Lord, it says in Proverbs, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So like Jesus, build your life on prayer. And so the healthy response to God's discipline is rejoice, reframe, and request. British shepherds do a funny thing each year to their sheep. They throw them into these dipping troughs, we have a couple of pictures of them, which is a huge vat filled with antiseptic saturated water. It, it smells weird, it stings a little bit, and the sheep feel like their shepherd is trying to drown them. Some of the sheep just out and out panic. So you see these two pictures. One of them shows a, a, a sheep completely upside down with its legs locked out in, in panic, just its head under the water submerged. And uh, to the sheep, the shepherd has lost his ever-loving mind, you know, uh, but it's actually to prevent painful skin diseases and to keep parasites from uh, taking root and multiplying in their wool. And so the sheep need to go through the sheep dip. 
The other picture that we see here is three sheep in the sheep dip. The middle one is panicking, can't wait to get out, so he's elbowing his buddy on the left in the head. I don't care if I kill you, I gotta get out of here. And then if you notice, the sheep on the right has a board in his back because, you know, he's trying to get out and the board's going, no, 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 you gotta get in all the way in. And uh, so sheep dip is terrifying for most sheep, but it keeps away parasites and disease. The sheep are healthier and happier because of sheep dip. Now, isn't it, where am I going? Here I'm going, okay. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the scripture says that we are the sheep of God's pasture? So here, here's here drum roll right here. God's discipline is like being submerged in a vat of sheep dip. Okay? So next time life is, is tough, just go, oh yeah, sheep dip. When a psycho, you know, in his A8 goes by, giving you the Colorado bird, yell at him, sheep dip. <laughs> That'll confuse him right there. In between services, when you're talking to one another over donuts, praise God for donuts. Pandemic is over with, right? And someone asks you how you are, just look at them and go, sheep dip. And they'll go, oh man, I understand. That's bad to be in that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Enough ridicule. Yeah, yeah, stop it. Yeah. I'm gonna regret this. So, when you're in the sheep dip and it goes over your head, remember Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. Amen. So how do we transition from sheep dip to holy communion right now? <laughs> Thankfully, I've thought about it. I got an idea. And that is this morning as we approach the Lord's table to fellowship with him, to draw near to him, to seek him with all of our heart, remembering that his grace is greater than all our sin, that you are the sheep of his pasture and he delights in you. Let's come before him this morning with rejoicing. Let's come before him with a heart of thanksgiving. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you to live as Christ, to die is gain. Thank you that I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. Let us remember what first. Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's good will for you in Christ Jesus. If the staff and volunteers that are going to help serve communion, if you would come right now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Receive this for the comfort of your soul. Likewise, he took the cup, but they're all, here's one. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood given 
shed for the remission, the forgiveness, the cleansing of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As you partake of this, let us rejoice that not because of our perfection, our goodness, our greatness, but because of God's grace, we are his children and he'll be with us through the valleys and the mountains. And we do have uh, gluten-free if you need that. The Lord bless you as you come and partake of communion.